0: Welcome to High on Our Own Supply, a podcast produced by Confident Cannabis. I'm your host, Brad Bogus. On this show, we will get deep in the weeds on issues related to the cannabis supply chain. We'll be interviewing different types of operators in the industry from all over the nation to explore what challenges they've had in their given market and how they've overcome them. We're not here to learn about how much weed they smoke or when they first got into cannabis. You can find that elsewhere. What we are interested in is what works, what doesn't, and how can other operators learn from mistakes and successes that they can apply to their business? You know, the real sexy stuff. On this first episode, our guest is Spencer Mullins from Farmers Market, that's PH Farmers, not an F, out of Oregon. Farmer's Market is a distributor that helps brands get sold into as many retail stores in the state as possible and then distributes that product to them. The interesting thing to note is that while Oregon has a wholesale license category, which is the license that Farmer's Market has, states like Colorado do not. California does, but they call them distributors rather than wholesalers in the license level. Regardless of what you call it, we can all learn from Spencer and other wholesalers and distributors about how to succeed in getting products on shelves and also what pitfalls to avoid. But before we get to Spencer, let's dive into our first segment, The Word on the Street. You hear the word on the street? This edition of Word on the Street focuses on California, where we are learning that while most brands are being sold by their partner distributors, those brands are in heavy need of sourcing bulk cannabis for processing. It seems finding good consistent supply of bulk material is quite limited and not centralized. And we're we're literally hearing this from every single licensee that we've talked with. When people in the industry discuss wholesale trade, they are typically referring to brands selling to retail. Well, in every state we operate in, this dynamic of having a hard time sourcing in bulk is absolutely consistent. We see it everywhere. You have to find all the operators that have that kind of volume, which is challenging enough. But then you have to trust them. You have to trust their quality, which makes it even more daunting. And the fact remains that there are very few options for sourcing this material in a centralized manner i mean full disclosure this is the very problem confident cannabis has addressed with our platform simply called wholesale which is to bring one place where everyone can find all of the licensed supply within the state and see all the lab test results directly associated with that which should hopefully help deal with the problem of trust and of knowing that the quality is what they say it is but really when it comes to sourcing in bulk The the reason this is such a problem is because most of the people in the cannabis supply chain think about it in the instance of retailers buying from brands. They don't think about this in-between trade. If I'm a processor or if I'm a uh, manufacturer of edibles and topicals, there is uh, a lot of bulk material that I need to be looking for to create my products consistently. I might be looking for trim or bee buds, but I might also need a distillate. I might need solventless extract, depending on what kind of a product I'm trying to create. Where am I gonna find that as a licensee looking for that source material? Currently, if everyone is basically putting the the pieces together for brands and retail, it seems like there's this missing sliver here. California is having a real hard time with this. We see in other states like Oregon that, you know, bulk sourcing is still a problem, although not quite as hard in a state like California where everything is new. And the brands that are showing up are definitely not the same brands that the legacy sort of gray market is used to uh, over the last 20 years. So uh, we find this to be a really interesting dynamic. While it is consistent in every state, California is specific in its needs here, especially with the transition it's going through switching to a regulated market. So if you're an operator in California and you're having a hard time uh, sourcing bulk material, please reach out to us in the podcast. Let us know what those problems are. Maybe we can focus on those specific issues in future episodes. But that right now is the word on the street. One of the other recurring segments we're going to have on the podcast is what we call our pro tips. Pro tip. Pro tips are things that we hear from operators from anywhere in the nation that are generally lessons that are ubiquitous, things that any cannabis operator in any market can learn from and use as a strategy to sell better or to buy with more intelligence or to help customers get what they need. This week's pro tip, use lab results as a sales tool. We continue to hear feedback from cannabis operators we spoke with across the nation that dealing with lab results is a real pain point. Buyers complain that their vendors routinely forget to bring lab results to the sale or they make promises to follow up with their certificates of analysis and then don't. Vendors also have this problem. Buyers can be disorganized. Many buyers will actually misplace their documentation and ask for another copy of the lab results to be sent and this seems to happen pretty often. In fact, both sides report up to 30% of their communication time is spent just sending and resending documentation like lab results and invoices. When you think about the amount of time that's spent in communication between either side, 30% is a lot and extremely valuable. So an operation that wants to present as a professional outfit that is organized and buttoned up will use their lab results as a sales tool. In fact, these results can often sell your quality for you better than your descriptions and sales language will. When communicating with buyers, particularly when sending over menus of your product, link each product to its respective lab results. You can do this easily through the Confident Cannabis Lab software as every tested product has its own lab results share page, but even just linking to a downloadable PDF is better than not. Make this as easy to your buyers as you can, and you'll see the rewards. That's this week's pro tip. Pro tip. All right, let's go ahead and get to the interview with Spencer Mullen, CEO of Farmer's Market. Make sure and stay tuned after the interview for a fun fact about the world's newest cannabinoid, THCP. All right, here's my interview with Spencer Mullen. Thanks for joining, Spencer. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So I I did a little bit of a description on what Farmer's Market is, but I'd really like to hear this from your own words. What is Farmer's Market to you? What does it mean to the state of Oregon and kind of how you got here?
1: Yeah, um, we started cannabis distribution in Oregon in 2016 when it was still medical and transitioned into a rec distributor. um, I saw that there was an opportunity to uh, provide a service in the cannabis space for cash logistics, product logistics, storage, and mostly sales. Uh, We saw a lot of new companies moving into the market and um, trying to push into the market and also uh, maintain in this space is very difficult because the market's very dynamic and um the consumer is constantly uh evolving. And so uh we quickly moved in. We set up a couple of warehouses throughout the state and also an event site to be able to support our suppliers and retailers. And um we're now spread out through the whole state of Oregon. Uh, we have a large sales team, a large educational team and then um, warehouse support.
0: Yeah, so you said you saw the opportunity for cash and product logistics in the market. What led you to that opportunity? Like, uh, Was it a previous experience you had, or was it just understanding the cannabis market in the way that you did? A couple things.
1: I came from, I used to be a wine rep, and um, seeing how that side of the business worked, and then also I was uh, working with ArcView Investment Group, Um, which is Steve D'Angelo's project. And um, I was working as an advisor to an investor and saw that a lot of these companies were um, successful with uh, market share and also their support team. And I felt that if we were going to be successful within the marketplace with, um, I mean, it started out with my farms is that we would need to control market share and hand that off to another company at the time was, um, felt like not a wise decision just because of how new the market was. And so it started with pretty much my buddy in a old van filled up with weed and then (laughs) they <laughs> evolved to where we are now. With um, I think we have, we're just under 50 people on our staff and our main um, cannabis entity, and then we have a marketing company as well that supports it, and an educational arm that supports it. So um, we've grown quite a bit. And then we have a couple of warehouses too that we distribute out of in the state of
0: Oregon. You know, we hear a lot from operators in Oregon, but also across the nation uh, about this like concern with trust, you know, in terms of trusting other operators that they can work with or trusting that things are what people say that they are. Um, obviously, uh, any market coming out of the prohibited, illicit space into a regulated space is going to go through some of these growing pains. Um, but it sounded like you also were experiencing some of that—you uh, know, sort of lack of trust in other companies and needing to create an opportunity or, um, you know, a solution for uh, something that you could control that somebody else doesn't control. Um would you say that's correct and and if so like what were some of the early lessons you learned from you know trusting somebody who maybe didn't deserve it or or let you down
1: I mean I wouldn't say I wouldn't use the word trust I mean it is okay. a relationship industry and um there is a lot of smoke and mirrors in this industry I understand why I mean people are trying to project where they want to be as opposed to maybe where they are especially as they're in that, that build phase, especially right until you wheat. make it, right? Yeah, exactly. And so um, I think that within cannabis, especially in how new uh, this industry is, it is very much a relationship driven industry. People want to buy weed from their friends, um, to put it simply. And so it was important that we built and maintain those relationships. Um, I think honestly, it's Probably our biggest value at this point is we have a lot of friends in the Oregon space on the supplier and retailer side. And so um, we've worked really hard to maintain our reputation and do well uh, by our partners out there. And so keeping those relationships healthy. um, And so moving into the space, I felt that where the industry was at the time, nobody really owned a lot of these relationships yet, everybody was still trying to figure it out. And so we felt like we had the opportunity to get out there and do the grind and open up those doors and start uh, building those relationships.
0: Yeah, I mean, that seems consistent with your brand uh, identity, at least. Me being a marketing and branding guy over here in the Confident Cannabis side, uh, I really appreciate sort of the, you have a friend in the weed industry message that you have on your website. Um, sounds like that's sort of the core to what farmer's market is in Oregon is, uh, you know, a, a friend to the industry and that that's how you run your relationships. That's how you make sure that things are tight, that uh, people are taking care of. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, I look at this industry, it's small and circular. Um, and so, I mean, it's it's important that we do whatever we can to make sure that we're, um, ethical and protecting our relationships. And so, um, I just, it's at the end of the day, we're, um, this should be fun and this is exciting and we're building our businesses with our partners. And so it's important that we're, um, doing everything we can to support them. And I feel like with that, we'll see more and more success and more opportunity if we can work hard to make sure that our um, our relationships are taken care of and you take care of your friends. And that's really how we want to be um, focused out there. I mean, we continue to build out more and more support to be able to uh, make sure our relationships are successful in the marketplace. But um, it really stems from... Um, trying to
0: do as well as we can by our suppliers and retailers. Right on. Um, Let's switch gears a little bit and jump into some of like the supply chain related issues that you might face in Oregon or uh, just, you know, in in the the life cycle of farmer's market. Um, What would you say is the biggest problem you face currently in the cannabis supply chain? Or if there's not a really big problem you're tackling right now, maybe some of the ones you've faced previously leading up to this?
1: yeah i mean i think that we're always facing different challenges and it's one of the reasons why this industry i feel like is so addictive where we're there's a lot of quote-unquote opportunities still sitting there so you're trying to build to be able to better your company and better your position within the industry and so that's definitely what is driving me and i feel like a lot of our our team that we um that we have at farmers market I mean, with the feel like our biggest challenges has been that the market is not stagnant. And as the consumer changes as because everything is so fresh, there's nothing that there's no real brands yet that have truly secured the space. Also, too, you have a market that is tied into a a state that has four million people with a large ability to produce um, to produce a lot of cannabis. So you have the, your commodity side and your manufacturer side, the problem with being in the state with four million people is that on the commodity side, uh, we can produce such a large amount of flour and so trying to balance that in this state is going to be difficult until we see interstate commerce. And so um, there's always going to be this really opportunity to make really good money or then oversupply in the market crashes horrendously. OLCC trying to balance this with um, regulation is going to always be a reactionary solution with long lead times. So it's going to be very difficult. I feel like we still have quite a few years of um, turbulence there. On the manufacturer side, it still plays into that as well too. And you see this, um, pretty much the market is divided in two. And so you have your premium, ultra premium, where they've been able to move into the market, hopefully secure a large market share like a company like, let's say, Wild. Um, And then you have your race to the bottom where companies are producing, trying to play the volume game, um, but they're still tied to a commodity product. And they have this product that's pretty much maybe making them pennies per piece. And so it's not the most healthy model right now. I think, as time goes on, um, it'll get better, and people are sharpening their teeth and figuring out how to run a lean, healthy business. but it still is just going to take time to flush out
0: yeah, you, you brought up uh, the OLCC um, you know sort of reporting and trying to solve for uh, oversupply issues, and of course, all of the the rage uh, in the headlines last year was you know Oregon has six and a half years of oversupply on the market. Mm-hmm. Um, it, regardless of the accuracy of that statement, in the, in particular, and you know, we could we could fight through the details of the OLCC report all day long. It seems mm-hmm. like you've continued to grow and succeed despite that last year of downturn. Um, and and now I think we're we're seeing a market that's a little bit more stable from last year. Um, maybe we're not going to see the bottom fall as far as 250 300 a pound. It might, you know, stabilize in the five to $700 a pound range. Uh, what, what did you do last year to, to survive that glut problem, or at least the perception of that glut problem, uh, and continue to grow as a company? Well, I mean,
1: I think our, the biggest thing we were able to do is understand that there wasn't a glut problem. And while people were taking the steps to get ready for a con- continuous like flat line on the flower side, we um, moved really quickly to bring on as much flour in-house as possible because we saw that there wasn't going to be this um, oversupply that OLCC was predicting. We, because we're spread out throughout the state and have a lot of these relationships, we're able to, I think, have better clarity into the market than um, like just a retailer or a single supplier And so we were able to see that that wasn't truly the case. And so we moved quickly to bring in products and then by us being able to bring in that product, it allowed us to then um, get that product back out to market to our retailers, which in turn was also allowed us to bump up our price point for our suppliers and gave them a breath of air. A lot of our suppliers on the farm side was on the brink of bankruptcy and so... By being able to get it in, and I mean, I'm not saying that we alone bumped up the flour price by any means. It's a market-driven supply and demand model, but it still allowed us to be able to have enough flour to where we could get it out to our, our retail partners and allow to, our suppliers to uptick with the pricing to um, get, some, get some life back into their company.
0: Would you say the takeaway there is sort of, you know, trust your reality, don't listen so much to the hype?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that analytics in this mark in this industry are difficult. I mean, I appreciate that there's a consistent um, focus on trying to improve, which is one of the great things about this industry where you were seeing um, a, a huge push to keep raising the bar. And I don't see a lot of industries moving as quickly as the cannabis industry in that in that regard. But in the same boat, it's um, I mean, it it, it's good to have those analytics, but also to understanding if they really play. And a lot of it is off of yesterday's information, not tomorrow's. And so being able to look at year over year analytics and having your finger on the pulse is important.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, what would you say is the most innovative or interesting approach that you've seen in buying and selling within the the wholesale market? Hmm.
1: Um, I mean, I think that that innovation isn't really. I mean, it's it's developing. I mean, when people first came into the market, it was you roll up on the medical days with your backpack full of product and usually it was mostly flour or potentially dabs and um, and people just dropped off product. I mean, I think that where you see the innovation is as the market matures, you're starting to see the relationship side start taking place and that um, trying to create a buzz and excitement around the brand. I mean, we, for example, have a um, it's not a farmer's market asset. It's a um, it's another company, but we are um, still connected to it and we have a giant hot box where people can come in and try product and connect with their, um, with their supplier, whether it's the grower or the processor. And so trying to bring that back to where it was in the, in the past where people could smoke or take edibles and chat and have that relationship side of things and sort of be able to um, expand upon that. I mean, I think that you look at the companies that are being really successful. It's not that they're reinventing the wheel. It's just, they are executing really well at what they do and staying very focused. And from the outside looking in, looking like they have their shit together and they're being, um, consistent in the marketplace. I think that the, um, we don't need to reinvent the wheel where it comes down to is like the devils in the details and being able to give great service and great support to our, um, to our, our uh, partners out there. And um, I think as time goes on, you're just seeing this industry mature into more of like a, what would be a liquor distribution model or something to that, to that effect.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to jump into that here in a second, but I, I had a question that I think maybe is uh, in reference to what you were just discussing. Uh, maybe it's something similar, but I saw on your website that you do these bud, tech, uh, bud tender pecking parties. What, oh, yeah. what are the pecking parties and, and what led you to uh, throw those series of events? Like, where do you, what, what does farmer's market do you think benefit from or the brands that you work with benefit from a, a bud tender pecking party?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's the the pecking order. So kind of playing off our rooster. And so what we did is, I mean, these bud tenders out there, they work really, I mean, it's a passion and they work really hard, long hours, um, not a lot of pay, but it's, but they're doing it because they love the industry and they want to be involved in it. And so we wanted an opportunity to keep furthering that relationship, but also giving back to these uh, bud tenders. And so we created a space up in Portland that um, we have where it's a, it's just runs under our, our marketing company and it allows for bud tenders and buyers to come in, try product, connect with the, um, the supplier and it's an educational platform, but it gives them a space where they can get out of the store and have a nice intimate area where they can um really connect ask good questions and try the product and get swag and um it felt like it gave us an ability to really get beyond just that coming into the store behind the glass counter pitching them something maybe Mm -hmm. throwing some swag to the to the buyer not knowing whether or not it actually gets to the bud tender and, and calling it good and so by having this um educational and event platform it was a lot allowed us to further that and pass that that just uh,
0: base interaction that I feel like we were running into all the time yeah we talk a lot in the industry about education and um, and and where education ultimately uh, whose responsibility education is you know a lot of consumers in the cannabis space uh, are, are newcomers to the space. They're, you know, the, the two fastest growing segments that we see are senior citizens and like the 35 to 45 year old soccer parents. And you're dealing with people who have only maybe dealt with cannabis back in the seventies, which is a very different experience than today. Or you're dealing with people who are, who have heard enough about it that they're interested in incorporating it into their lifestyle. And, and those, uh, consumers just don't really know where to start. Um, whose responsibility do you think education lies on? And, um, you know, when, it, when, I'm, when I'm hearing what you're saying about these bud tender pecking parties is it's that, you know, you see at least part of the responsibility to be shared by uh, the organizations trying to get products on shelves. Do you think retailers also share in that uh, need or do you think that, that that burden lies solely on the brands? Well, I think that
1: that lies across the board. I mean, it starts with the supplier, being able to articulate what they do, why they do it, and the, um, the importance behind their brand. And then that needs to go out to the sales team. Sales team then needs to be able to educate the uh, buyer of why they want to bring in the product. But that's just the sell in. Then you got to really focus on the sell through. And so by bringing in an educational arm either into the store for vendor days or by having off-site. Um, events it allows us to then start educating the bud tenders about the product Uh and then from those bud tenders then they can educate the consumer i mean we've seen i mean the bud tenders want that support and it allows them to do their job better and also i think opens up more doors for them in the future to to move forward with their career in cannabis and so i think that it's a, um, a group effort but it needs like from our company, we take a, a really strong approach. And that's really one of our big focuses moving into 2020 is to be able to continuously give the education. I mean, I think that looking at our portfolio, especially on the manufactured side, there's a lot that, um, a lot of special unique things that our suppliers are doing that gives increased value to their brand. That's lost, uh, during the process of getting it to the consumer. And so we've taken a really strong approach of getting that, um, getting that support out to the retailers so they, their bud tenders are educated about the differences in
0: these products. Yeah, yeah. Um, earlier, you mentioned the, um, the 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 concept of exporting out of the state. You know that Oregon's producing uh, too much cannabis for the state itself to consume. Personally, I, I, I've con- I've gotten cannabis in six different states. I think Oregon produces the best quality cannabis in the world, uh, and and so I've been closely following this export um, initiative, and uh, you know, very much looking forward to a world where the 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 amazing product of Oregon can get out to other states what what does the future look like for farmers market in a uh, situation where Oregon is now exporting to California or Nevada or even you know hell Utah (laughs) and maybe New York Um, and and do you do you see farmers market becoming more of a um, you know national logistics company or do you think you're going to continue to focus solely on uh, Oregon and just making sure that you're taking care of the people there um,
1: I mean, I think that there's opportunity out of state and we're not, uh, n- not close minded to it, but also in the same boat, we feel like there's still a lot of opportunity in Oregon and we are not where we want to be at with, with our company in the terms of just having us really tuned in really, really well. And so I feel like there's we're not spreading ourselves then and running into other states right now and we don't have any fixed plans to do so i think as that interstate starts to define our, define itself we will then start taking a harder look at it but for the time being we want to be able to really give great service to our suppliers and retailers in oregon and so we're just really trying to buckle down and keep building a model that can continue to provide better and better service to the state of Oregon.
0: Yeah, yeah. focus on what you you know and love, right? Yep. Yeah, that's great. Um, All right, well, uh, do you have any other final thoughts you wanna leave us with about um, sort of what you've experienced in the supply chain or uh, what you see for Farmers Market in the future?
1: Um, I think that we're excited about continually building our team and being able to bring in bigger and better resources into our company we're excited to really start focusing on the event side of things too we've been up until this last year pretty closed where you couldn't really find much about our company our instagram was base level and our like our social media our website and so we're really trying to take an approach of being more outward facing we feel like now with our brands and being able to push the sell through it's important to um to take these steps and so We're excited to be able to start throwing bigger and bigger events uh,
0: with our partners and uh, excited for this 2020 year. Rock and roll. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the time, Spencer, and thanks for joining the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you, Brad. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, I hope you enjoyed that in-depth conversation with Spencer. I could hear a real passion for working with farmers and his answers to some of the questions, which I personally love to see. I mean, in a world shifting ever so slightly towards large-scale ag production, knowing that there are people out there fighting for, like, the quality and boutique brands is really reassuring. We want to leave you with a fun fact at the end of this episode, and the fun fact this week focuses on the most recently discovered cannabinoids, THCP and CBDP. Now, you might have heard about this duo in your publication of choice, as there was a bit of news around their discovery, but what you read in the news is likely not the reality. So headlines are flying out like THCP and CDBP is 30 times more potent or 30 times stronger than regular Delta-9 THC or CBD. What is the actual truth is that THCP is more active on the CB receptors. It's not necessarily stronger or more potent. What that means exactly is still yet to be discovered. Activity can mean a lot of things. And we won't really know until further research is conducted, but I'm highly dubious that we will find it is more potent. But... Until we know, we don't know. Thanks for tuning into our first episode. Do subscribe so you don't miss further in-depth conversations with our nation's best cannabis operators about how to survive and thrive through this ever-changing cannabis supply chain. Just hit the subscribe button on whatever podcast app you prefer, or you can sign up to be notified via our podcast page, which is linked in the show notes. High on Our Own Supply is produced by Confident Cannabis, hosted by Brad Bogus, and distributed by Pamfo. To be considered for future podcast interviews, you can email media at confidentcannabis.com. To find out more about how Confident Cannabis can help you test, buy, and sell your cannabis products, check us out at www.confidentcannabis.com. See you next time.